Once Khrushchev took over, the tone of the Cold War shifted in the USSR. Stalin had been for expanding his brand of communism at all costs, and no one was allowed to take a neutral stance. While still hyper-corrupt, things got much better for the Soviet people. Doublethink still existed, but nowhere nearly as bad as it had been. Nations were allowed to stay neutral, and Khrushchev decided to go more carrot and less stick, offering financial incentives to nations that aligned with them over the First World. This, of course, angered Mao, but made things easier for the Soviet Union. In fact, it got so good that old people in Russia today view the late Khrushchev and early Brezhnev period with fondness. They didn't have to worry about finding a job or trying to hustle to make money to survive. They weren't rich, but they had some luxuries the West had. Everyone had free access to an education. Under Khrushchev, Sputnik launched, which scared the U.S. into the space race, as until the U.S. started making gains in space, people around the world saw capitalism as a way to make and get stuff, but communism as a way to get things done, as it had taken a backwater no place in 30 years into a place that sent people into space. Just imagine what it could have done without Stalin. In 1962, the U.S. began installing nuclear missiles in Turkey. As a counter show of force, Khrushchev began putting missiles in Cuba. This led to a standoff that could have ended in nuclear war. JFK was really inexperienced being newly elected and nearly bungled the whole thing. We now have declassified documents from both sides and while JFK had his writers hype him up as it was his wisdom that stopped the Cuban Missile Crisis, it was actually Khrushchev who stood down and talked Kennedy down from the crisis as he didn't want mutually assured destruction any more than any other person. The US and Russia both pulled their nukes out but it hurt Khrushchev's standing and he was forced out of his leadership role in 1964 and given a pension allowing him to live out his days in retirement, something not seen of any Soviet leader before. I'll glance over Cuba, but I made a full video about it late last year, so you can watch that one. I don't think I've learned any more about Cuba, and it was not a Stalinist nation. Depending on how you ask, it was a more Leninist nation with free and fair elections, or it is a Khrushchevist nation that is a kinder, gentler Stalinism. It's hard to tell with propaganda coming from both sides, and there's probably truth in both narratives. Leonid Brezhnev was loyal to Khrushchev until he suddenly wasn't, deposing him. He had great success in terms of stability and global expansion, but his rule was marked by great corruption, inefficiency, and growing gaps in technology between themselves and the West, especially in terms of computer technology. While Khrushchev would do things without consulting the Politburo, something Gorbachev would bring back, Brezhnev worked mostly on consensus with it to protect his position. Stalin had created this big, clunky system of power, and he did everything he could to protect it, which ended up dooming the USSR in the long run. Brezhnev built up the arms race with the US and began engaging in interventionism to expand communism to the rest of the world. He engaged in detente, which involved more comprehensive dialogue with the West and arms agreements as well as human rights agreements, while at the same time still increasing their military and nuclear capabilities. He also had the Czech crisis, as mentioned earlier, where Czechoslovakia began liberalizing politically in hopes of returning to a Lenin-style democracy, and Brezhnev sent in tanks to stop that in its tracks. This created tensions in the bloc and the other communist nations to the point that Brezhnev lost control of the communist world and there was no longer a central power with a monopoly on socialism. He began handing aid out like candy to any nation that called themselves socialist. This began to drain the nation of money and resources faster than the people could create it. In 1978, the Afghanistan communist revolution happened and Russians sent in troops to help them fight the Reagan-backed enemy, the Mujahideen, who we now call the Taliban. 
The Afghanistan war was draining and disastrous to the nation. As you see, pictures of empty store shelves and bread lines uses anti-communist propaganda. That was because of this war. And then learn nothing from their failure and sap $3 trillion of our tax money in the same way after 9-11. Because the thing we learn from history is that no one learns anything from history. Brezhnev's health began to decline after suffering a stroke in 1975. Yuri Andropov, a KGB head, began to seize control using Brezhnev as his puppet, refusing to let him step down and dragging out the Afghanistan war. He then took over for Brezhnev in 1982 and increased the KGB's strength under the name of weeding out corruption. And since you had to be corrupt at some level to hold any power, he could weed out anyone not loyal to him in these criminal attacks something Xi Jinping would do with his rival Zhang Zemin's supporters. Yuri Andropov died of kidney failure in 1984, just 16 months officially in power, and Konstantin Chernevko took power only to die himself a year later and was succeeded by Mikhail Gorbachev. It's what happens when the government becomes a gerontocracy, which isolated the youth population, which would have an impact on the fall of the Soviet Union as well. Gorbachev was younger compared to all the other people in power before him and was the first person not in government under Stalin. He saw the stagnation and corruption and believed huge reforms were needed. He was able to make peace again with Deng Xiaoping and open up communication with the West, expanding liberalization. After Chernobyl in 1986 and realizing just how far behind they were in the computer race, he declared a policy of glasnost, a term used in the late 19th century for judicial reform. This allowed an expansion of freedom of speech, transparency in government, democratization, and freedom of the press. They had perestroika, which decentralized a lot of the government and opened up market-like reforms. In 1989, he pulled out of the Afghanistan war. This was an attempt to return the nation to a Lenin-era-style communism. However, there were unintended consequences. Basically, two factors killed the Soviet Union. First was the press. The press, now free, no longer had any nuanced controls that the Western powers had because it never had to before. It all went through censors. It became all or nothing in terms of control. Suddenly, the press began doing what the French press did when they started the reign of terror. The press became incredibly rabid, creating an us-versus-them narrative between different Soviet states. This basically created a nationalist movement in each of the nations viciously attacking their neighboring state. Like, if Fox News decided all of its affiliates should spread hate against other states, like they do with California, but with no checks whatsoever. Also, young people who had been sidelined, ignored, and isolated from political process for decades suddenly began interacting with the West on levels never before seen and saw all the material and political advantages without knowing anything about how global markets work and they moved toward pro-capitalism. Gorbachev declined to interfere militarily with the color revolutions in the Eastern Bloc, allowing them their own freedom and officially ended the post-Stalinist policies in 1990. After this, the hard conservative post-Stalinists held an August coup in 1991 that was unsuccessful as young people came out into the streets and stood up against the tanks. The nationalism got so bad that states began breaking off and declaring their independence, something Gorbachev never wanted or anticipated. Now that the Soviet Union was no longer a thing, Gorbachev no longer had a job, and Boris Yeltsin ran for the now Russian presidency and radically turned Russia from a Soviet state to a market-driven economy. Privatization was through the roof, and people were given shares now as individuals of companies they used to collectively own as citizens, but thanks to jumping headfirst into a global economy as an immature industrial nation with no market controls, the economy tanked. 
Jobs are no longer guaranteed, and people now had to compete for jobs, and worker exploitation was rampant. Yeltsin had people he picked to go around and buy up these shares for essentially beer money that was essentially worthless to the average citizen. This created the oligarchy of Russia that led to the rise of Putin, being one of the most powerful mobsters in the world. I discussed this in my video on decollectivization a bit more, and my video comparing Mitch McConnell to Putin. Putin, of course, saw what the unchecked freedom of the press could do to tear apart a nation and use unregulated social media to do the same to his enemies. That caused us Brexit and Trump and allowed fascists to get elected in much of the world. Lenin took too much power in a crisis. Gorbachev blindly opened up freedoms with no checks or institutions to prevent hate or instability from spreading. In both cases, a dictator grabbed the reins of power, one pretending to be Marxist-Leninist or pretending to be pro-democracy, but secretly hating it. It's because of this history that people say that communism never works, not because communism itself is inherently evil, but because political and global forces have always caused it to collapse into Putinism or get Stalinism, except in a few cases. On that rare occasion, you get lucky, like with the Baltics or the Western Bloc nations. But so far, just like with France in the mid-1900s, we have still not had a successful version of true socialism. Or have we? In the next video, we'll discuss a few states that got lucky enough to be socialist without falling to the sway of Stalinism or Maoism. Sadly, several of them end in tragedy, and all have lots of tragedy thanks to foreign interference, the worst two being Vietnam and Chile. There are three more things to point out. After Stalin and Mao, neither nation saw famine or shortage for basic goods like food and housing. They both had all their basic needs met. The only reason people starved was because of war, lack of checks and balances, and suppression of free speech and government. Just like in capitalist nations, though capitalist nations will just let you starve if they don't see you as valuable. And the only reason the USSR couldn't go without shortages during the Afghanistan Forever War like the US could is because they weren't busy exploiting poorer nations' cheap labor and undervalued resources like we did. Secondly, the USSR was very much a police state. After Stalin from 1950 to 1970, America may have been able to call itself the land of the free and rightfully be horrified at communism over the fact that the Soviet Union had five times the incarceration rate than that of the US. Minorities lived under a police state, just like everyone in the USSR, especially in the South, but we had way less incarceration rates than the USSR. We could hold ourselves up as a moral beacon, at least in incarceration rates, though I can't find a prison population in the Soviet Union at the time. Then Nixon declared the war on drugs, and from 1970 to 1990 the number jumped threefold, and from 1990 to 2000 it doubled, making the incarceration rate on par with the USSR under the height of Andropov's time in power, which was the worst since Stalin. I can't find exact prison numbers, but in 1991, we had the highest prison population in the world at 426 prisoners for every 100,000, apartheid South Africa with 333 per every 100,000, took the number two spot, and the Soviet Union took three with 268 prisoners per person. And at that time, the Soviet Union had an incarceration rate of around 400 persons incarcerated for every 100,000, while we only had 300 persons for every 100,000, meaning our prison sentences were much longer, perhaps up to twice as long as theirs, and we didn't even have the crime bill yet or the three strikes rule, meaning that under the W. Bush administration, we had a ridiculous larger amount of prisoners compared to any time in the post-Stalin USSR. 
Also in the USSR, once you got out of prison, you had a vocation and a job waiting for you, and you wouldn't starve in the streets or die of exposure from homelessness. When people call us a police state, we believe the USSR was a nightmare and nothing like us. You're right, we make the USSR look like a bunch of nice guys and a utopia when it comes to our prison populations. It's because of this that pretty much every other nation who commits human rights abuses can just point to the US and say, hey, at least we aren't the US. Until we fix our incarceration issues, shut up about how communism always leads to tyranny. The only difference is, unlike in the socialist nations, the US has an underclass that lives in fear of the police, and the higher classes are delusionally paranoid about getting treated the same way under socialism because they have no problem with the undesirables living under an oppressive system, a similar class system used under fascism. And lastly, the right acts like all communist nations were industrial liberal democracies that shifted to communism and everything went to hell in a handbasket. No, they went from an impoverished feudal monarchy or exploited colonial holding, and for the most part, they lived better than they did before. They may have not been able to reach the western level of wealth and prosperity, but the west had a head start through colonial exploitation. If you start the game of Monopoly late, you have a near zero chance of winning. In the next video, we will discuss the few states that got lucky enough to be socialist without falling to sway of Stalinism or Maoism. Sadly, several of them are mired in tragedy thanks to foreign interference, the worst two being Vietnam and Chile. To be honest, it's really hard to discover the truth about socialism, communism, and anarchism. Both the capitalists and the communists use propaganda, each biased in favor of their side and very uncharitable to the other side, often not representing them or their arguments as the other side sees it. Pretty much always a straw man. If I have said anything that you can debunk, please let me know, and if it's dramatic enough, I will upload a new video to cover it. So as always, thank you all for watching this as a video or listening to this as a podcast, which I'm sure was completely uncontroversial to anyone, especially to the YouTube monetization team. So if you found this useful, please donate to my Patreon. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube, and I have almost 700 videos on my channel that I've made over the past 11 years on religion, science, psychology, and politics. Please go check them out, and if your site has the option, like, rate, review, and comment. A special thanks goes out to Kendall Copperberg, Ogrel, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Joe Taylor for their $10 or more Wapawet level donations. I'm always humbled by the fact that they find my work worth funding and worth driving me forward. Thank you all. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.